listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening, this is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in their healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic abuse. If you'd like to call in, please um, call 917-889-8078. We are live tonight for sure. If you are listening tonight and would like to get in touch with me, you can email me as well. Uh, that would be Shereen, C-W-R, so that, let me spell that out for you, S-H-A-R-E-E-N-E-C-W-R at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I want to do a shout-out tonight to Ashley Martledge. She gave an absolutely wonderful um, presentation at the Domestic Violence Conference. It was absolutely unbelievable, and we're going to go over that tonight as well. Okay, I'd like to remind everyone that our show is every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 p.m. Central. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play if you subscribe to those services. If you want, if you want a direct link, you can go straight to our CWR homepage uh, home on our website, cwrtalknetwork.com, and click on the logo for that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233. I'm going to introduce my guest tonight. Um, She's the founder and the executive director of SAVE Organization, Saving Abuse and Violence Victims Through Education. She has an associate's degree uh, through Alan Hancock. She has a bachelor's degree through um, BYU in Provo, uh, a master's of education through University of Phoenix, and she has completed her ABD, and she is currently a PhD candidate through Grand Canyon University. So um, she, uh, let me tell you a little bit more. Um, She now advocates, facilitates classes, authors books, speaks publicly, blogs, hosts a radio show on domestic violence and abuse, and she holds domestic violence conferences. She has a nonprofit organization, and her vision for the nonprofit SAVE is to educate victims and survivors. (laughs) I'm going to have to tell you I'm really sick tonight, so I'm doing the best I can. Um, those who work with uh, victims and survivors and those who have family members of victims and survivors, as well as anyone impacted in the community in any way by domestic violence. She feels the best way to heal is through education and closeness to the Savior Jesus Christ and teaches that during her classes. And as you guessed, that is me. I'm going to be talking tonight, but I'm not, I'm, I'm your host. Um, I'm not going to interview myself, of course, but what I am going to do is I'm going to review all the, um, or at least uh, the keynote speakers for the Domestic Violence Conference. Um, Like I said, I've been really sick. I canceled last week because I had so much to do. Unfortunately, I didn't realize uh, the impact of uh, what I would be required to do for next week. Or, I'm sorry, for last weekend and uh, for the conference. And things were changing as, as as we were having it, things were changing. It was pretty pretty ominous. So it was pretty cool, though. Um, I'm going to go over, uh, as I said, Ashley Martlett. She did um, give a great uh, presentation, but I am going to go to a public service announcement first. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I improved my credit score. You're kidding, right? Uh, no. How are we supposed to be the bad boys of electrosynth pop if you're out there being responsible? The band is about to be discovered. This is our year. Uh, yeah, you've been saying that for a while now. You think anyone in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was worried about their credit score? I never really thought that Of we were... course they weren't. Rock stars aren't supposed to think about that kind of stuff. We're supposed to think about how many guitars we've smashed, write aggressively sensitive power ballads, start questionable fashion trends, tragically break up and blame creative differences. All right, all right, just... I thought maybe it was time to take control of my finances, you know? Start using a budget. Get out of debt. Set some goals. A budget? Debt? 
set some goals? Listen, I knew that we'd have our creative differences, but I was hoping they'd involve a little more scandal. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Welcome back from our public service announcement. Okay, so as I said earlier, um, I'm going to talk on the Domestic Violence Conference in Southern Utah this past weekend. Um, all the speakers were absolutely wonderful. Uh, they they gave they gave three thousand percent for sure. And I do have to um, say that I am very sick. <laughs> I, I don't know if you heard that, but um, I'm going to do the best I can. If I start to cough, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just put it on mute. So. Please bear with me tonight, okay? So the first uh, keynote speaker was Ashley Martlett. She's been on a couple of times, and she wants to be on some more. Uh, We have some really great things uh, headed up in the future with her. Uh, As you know, she's from Texas, or actually she's from California, but she's in Texas working on on her Ph.D., And so she's absolutely done some amazing things. She spoke on the hidden messages or uh, addressing the hidden messages in help seeking. Now, help seeking is when we're looking for someone to help us. Okay. So those might be direct or indirect uh, involved in the dynamics of domestic violence. Often mistake their behaviors and responses as helpful. Now, a lot of people on the outside, they really want to be helpful, and they might not understand how to do it. Um, I'm not going to tell you what I recommend. I think anyone who thinks they can help their friend um, might want to do it, but they should probably learn something about that because they can actually create additional trauma. So, unfortunately, there are many powerful layers of interpretation that keep these actions from actually decreasing the prevalence and severity of domestic violence. So what she's trying to say is that there's so many layers to domestic violence. As you know, someone that has endured domestic violence is not just a victim of domestic violence. They have uh, acquired uh, a mental health issue and it could be PTSD. It could be anxiety it could be depression, and then there's um, numerous others, such as suicidal ideation, uh, self-esteem, self-efficacy, etc. And but the three main ones are PTSD, um, anxiety, and depression. And so those are the three things that that domestic violence victims basically work with so when you want to help someone please keep in mind that those that are suffering from domestic violence are suffering from one two or all three of those plus a a gamut more of different ones possibility those are the three main ones that people um, suffer from so today uh, I'm going to talk to you or discuss with you what Ashley talked about and the key stakeholders, their actions and how these contribute to hidden messages of abuse, violence, and helplessness. Okay, she first talked about the cognitive model of trauma and, you know, we have the world and our patterns of trauma, our cognitive distortions, and one thing you need to understand, if you've never experienced domestic violence, um, all victims of domestic violence when they're in the victim state and just getting out into the survivor state, have cognitive distortions or what I call skewed thinking. And so their mind is, is racing 100 miles an hour, number one, trying to figure out what's gone on in their life. Um, so the issues that they need to deal with are problem-solving, conflict resolution, maladaptive um, coping mechanisms, and so forth. So then she goes on to say that sometimes uh, when we're in a – IPV situation, IPV is intimate partner violence when you're at home and you're fighting with your loved one or your abuser and either you or 
the neighbors call law enforcement. As you know, law enforcement have, it's 33% of those that in law enforcement that die via a domestic violence call. So that being said, the calls are usually uh, made during the most explosive part of the abuse. Officers respond and the parties involved deny any disturbances or unintentional um, crying wolf syndrome is what it's called, is they want help. They want it at that time, but by the time the cops get there, sometimes things are settled. Sometimes things are worse. So at times when they're settled and you're like, okay, I don't need you anymore, uh, they're like, uh, that's crying wolf. But is it really? So law enforcement creates more barriers for future calls for those people. It builds a reputation with law enforcement, not only in domestic violence itself, but also with those people that that call. Um, when individuals use the convenience of interpersonal violence as an excuse or falsely in their relationship for the purpose of a secondary game. And um, so using law enforcement, okay, I'm going to be honest, that's <laughs> actually correct on all of that. Absolutely. 100%. But I was asked, would you ever call law enforcement or would I ever suggest that anyone call law enforcement? And my answer is always no. Uh, they tend to inadvertently, or I don't think intentionally, but inadvertently make things worse. And I think they would appreciate you not calling them too, because that would be one less thing that they would have to deal with. Uh, if there is a death or, uh, an assault, they should be contacted for sure. But if you do that, you need really well-trained law enforcement officers to respond. And there's very few uh, that are that well-trained. Los Angeles and several other communities throughout the United States and Utah is not one of those that uh, embark on this adventure but have been extremely successful using domestic violence advocates. They also show that research shows that if a domestic violence advocate goes out with law enforcement, law enforcement settles the dust, they walk in and they try to help the victim. Um, They find uh, there is uh, far more convictions, better data collection. Uh, They make law enforcement make better decisions and the victim is typically not arrested, which is most unusual when you don't use a domestic violence um, advocate. So those counties or cities, or in this case, the entire state that doesn't use domestic violence advocates, be wary of the law enforcement because they're not well-trained. Okay. So her next slide is on men are abusers, not victims. Now this is the and remember, we're called hidden messages. So this is the misnomer, correct? Okay, so men face challenging gender norms and stereotypes at all stages of help-seeking. Men viewed as perfectly capable of fixing problems themselves. I do have to tell you, I have a friend who was a victim of domestic violence, and he called law enforcement, and they basically chided him. Man, can't you handle your wife, and blah, 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 blah. And so they um, they aren't taken seriously. Calling hotlines does not always equal help and resources for men. Many men report being harassed or disbelieved by the hotline workers, or even worse, they're referred to batterers programs so why would you send a victim to a batterers program i don't know so that's what happens though that's what research tells us and i will tell you one thing about all of ashley's stuff is it's research-based just like mine is because that's what we have to do with our phds services are often denied to men seeking help or they are turned away well if you go down to the local domestic violence shelter they have women there, right? Okay, so where are they going to put the men? Do they have a place for men? Men typically won't say that they're being abused, and so they don't really have a place to put men. Um, or they don't have a complete shelter for them. In larger cities, maybe yes, but in the smaller towns and counties, I was, I haven't seen any. So um, that's something uh, that is a thing of concern. Men are arrested as primary aggressors and are more likely to lose custody of their children. But this is not in Utah. Utah, they tend to give abusers the children, which is um, most uh, shocking 
And I had Lisa Briarly on a few weeks ago discussing that same thing. Okay, um, the burden of proof is substantially higher for men when they are the victim. <clears throat> that is very true. They have to really prove that they're the victim. That being said, law enforcement have a hard time identifying a, a true victim because they take scratches, which are defensive wounds, that is COP 101, and they make that into, oh, they're the victim because the victim is now a basket case going through shock, PTSD, um, anxiety. Um, they're conditioned to not respond to anything the cops say to them. And um, and I'm sorry, I'm really sick, so I'm coughing, and so I'm shutting off my mic when I do that. Um, so that's uh, what happens. We have to have um, law enforcement that are really well um, trained, and they should have domestic violence vic- uh, advocates with them to help uh, create um, a conducive environment for the a victim. Okay, her next slide. Is oh no, I keep them out of oh no, I keep them out of it. My kids have no idea about it. And this is true. Kids typically do not know what's really going on in the household. Children are 15 times more likely to be physically abused and neglected in a home where IPV occurs. So IPV is intimate partner violence. Highest risk for IPV in adulthood is childhood exposure to IPV and violence. Remember that domestic violence or um, abuse is a learned behavior and they learn it from their abuser. Children learn how to act violently and see how violence is rewarded, honeymooning through destructive conflict resolution. Even worse, children experience physical, emotional, psychological, and psychological consequences that interfere with their normal stages of development when living in the home where IPV occurs. And death can change at any moment. And it is true because the fact that the extreme trauma comes into the life at a very young age and sometimes cognitive development slows or ceases. The next area is when they say um, they're sorry, they mean it. A lot of victims believe that when abusers say they're sorry. Oh, he's sorry. It's okay. He he won't do it again. Apologies do not equal change in behavior. Words fall short when the cycle continues. The cycle of violence Honeymoon, tension, building, explosion, back to honeymoon, makes it difficult for the victim to leave. They really believe the apology because uh, who's the best actor in the world? And I say this every time we get on this radio show, it's the abuser. Victims believe they have more power in a relationship to fix whatever is broken than they actually can. And sometimes you don't really want to fix it. Um, I've never wanted to fix anything. I wanted the person I married um, to come back, which the person you marry never existed. And I've discussed that on previous shows. The person that you fall in love with isn't the person that you're married to after the ink is dry. Okay, deciding to leave doesn't end the violence either. Stalking, threatening communication, even death can result from leaving. And as you know, 72% of all deaths occur. Um, during leaving or following the exit. And the threatening becomes exponential because the abuser does not have um, control any longer if you you leave, right? So that's why they uh, embark on stalking. And that can be uh, stalking through electronic devices as well. Threatening communication, which, of course, can be through... Uh, electronic devices as well. Okay. And so the next one is, my doctor said, take these pills and everything will get better. 
Okay, ongoing regular screening practices are often overlooked or justified as unnecessary, often due to the implications for actions with a positive screening result. Sometimes uh, when we have panic attacks, when we have anxiety, when we have depression, when we have um, PTSD, uh, we sometimes do not know how to explain that to our doctor. We do the best we can. And so we think, oh, let's, you know, just get it, help for this. Uh, and the doctor doesn't think to say, hey, um, what's going on at home? they like, okay, I got something for that. So they, a, phys, a physical doctor or a physician is one that may, if uh, they're not well-trained, in domestic violence may negate the possibility of the domestic violence altogether. Uh, a lot of times they think, well, I don't see any bruises, so therefore there's no domestic violence, when bruises are n- not always, they're either hidden or they're doing psychological abuse, which we know is can be far worse than physical abuse. And the reason why I say far worse is because of the fact that physical abuse heals, psychological abuse I'm going to say, okay, so we had a discussion on this on my Facebook today. I'm going to say it's slow to heal. Uh, There's some I know have never healed, and I'm not sure you can completely heal. You can mend, mostly mend, um, but completely heal from uh, trauma from a domestic violence, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, and I'll tell you why, because I know I have a really good friend who's highly successful, has really made leaps and bounds. Um, her domestic violence was 20 years ago, and I asked her, how long does it take to heal? And she said, uh, I don't know. I'll let you know. It's been 20 years for me, and it's still not completely healed. So when does completely healed begin or take place? I'm not sure for that reason. So developing a trusting, clear, and constructive relationship is often a challenge due to the nonlinear pathway to change the victim's travel in their um, travel and their journey. Okay, now one thing that's really important is boundaries are a critical component to care. Now, if you don't know how to set boundaries, everybody has different types of boundaries that they need to set. So there is a good book called Boundaries. And um, I would tell you who that's by, but I can't remember at this moment. It's a real good book, and it will give you some great insight. But we all have different boundaries. And so I'm working on saying I can't do that at this time because I always like, what can I do to help you, blah, 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 blah. Or someone says, okay, Shrink, can you help me with this? And I say, absolutely. So because I am backed up on homework, I now say, I would love to help you, but I cannot at this time. Or we can't go there. I can't go with you because of this, you know, and so forth. So I'm setting my boundaries on, you know, the things that are most important to me. And right now that's my dissertation. And I'm working furiously on it. So uh, I have a lot of boundaries that I'm setting. And it's really hard for me to say no or I can't help you with that or something to that effect. So this is a really good boundary for me. Okay, the last the less helpful a trusted professional is, the longer an individual will likely remain in their IPV situation. So uh, I'm going to talk about a doctor instead of a psychologist um, because doctors, though they are trained in domestic violence, I'm not sure they have the same training as uh, psychologists. But that being said, I've had psychologists that weren't that really good either. Um and one flat out told me I have absolutely no training in this, but I'll listen to you. So there you go. The less likely they have training in that situation is you'll stay in that IPV situation longer. Okay, so the next slide that Ashley brought to fruition was you need to leave immediately and get help. This is a misnomer as well, right? Or what she calls a hidden um, message that uh, shouldn't be done. We do have a lot of people who want to help us. Okay. And so <clears throat> typically there are ones that do not have domestic violence experience. 
The majority of our support system do not have the clear picture and often believe their easily identified plan of action will clear everything up. So just head out, girlfriend. Just leave. Uh, It's not that easy. Support systems helping responses calibrate the cycles of violence or side with the abuser. And that's true. Sometimes our support systems side with the abuser. I've seen that on numerous occasions, and it happened to me. Okay, support system burnout. I just don't get why you won't leave. Okay, so as a bystander, we need, and this is what I always share with, uh, like, ecclesiastical leaders, of of any type and um, people who are like, well, I have this friend, she's in domestic violence and she won't get out. And what do I do? Number one, everything needs to be at the timing of the victim, not your timing of the timing of the victim. Yes. She may be in a very dangerous situation. It's not at your timing. It's her timing and she has to do it when she's ready. Now let me share with you why, because a victim doesn't have control of their life at all. So you can't take away any of that control either. Because what are you doing that's any different than the abuser? When you're like, oh, you have to be doing this because I said, or it's here's an easy, uh, easy way, get out. Um, that's not it. It's a lot more difficult than that. And there's a lot of variables. Okay, excuse making and rationale uh, often involve family, community, and cultural values. So sometimes we make excuses for our abusers, don't we? I am a number one excuse maker for everybody, for everything. I just, I started doing that probably in my teens because I knew that somebody probably hadn't a good excuse for behaving the way they did. So I would make up excuses for everybody's behavior. Okay, not everyone is ready to get help when there is a clear need for help. So once again, a victim may not recognize she's a victim. Um, I had one friend, I said, you're a victim of abuse because I never even thought about that until you said it. And uh, that's what, sometimes you have to just tell them you're a victim of abuse. You know, if there's anything I can do to help you, please let me know. I had one um ecclesiastical leader that was ready to help someone move out on two or three different occasions and he goes and then she she doesn't move out i had everybody there we're getting ready and let me tell you what happens when someone is about to move out the honeymoon gets pretty pretty thick and the abuser becomes mr perfect again and he comes dancing in with his flowers and his excuses and his I will never do it again comments. And and they're believed. And they're believed. Okay. Uh, leaving is not always the first option. In fact, leaving puts the victim at the high risk for lethality. Please keep that in mind. And once again, I'll... Uh, reiterate a million times if you tell someone just move out you have just put a noose around their neck because that is 72% chance uh, I'm sorry it's 72% of all those who are um, who have been killed have done it through uh, in the process of leaving or after they've left so that's a pretty high rate Okay, and the next one is a very touchy subject for a lot of people, and I know. Um, another comment that people might make are, God wouldn't give you anything you couldn't handle. Um, I have a friend named Sarah, and she totally disagrees with this, and I have to totally agree with her. It's it's not necessarily what God is giving you. Um, spiritual communities, church groups, and clergy are heavy heavily relied upon for support and help seeking. However, the messages are clearly muddled. So I do have a friend who at one point uh, went to her ecclesiastical leader. I don't know if it was a reverend, a pastor, I don't know. um, And 
she said, hey, this is how he is. Now, this is a guy who is a pillar in the in the church. Everybody loves him. And she's like, oh, yeah. So she thought that the pastor person would help her. And what he said was, this is your cross to bear. Now, I had to have her explain that to me because I didn't know what that meant. This is your cross to bear. What that means is uh, this is something she's going to have to put up with because she married him, basically. Um, she went to him for help and the best he can do is this is your cross to bear in life. Okay. Another thing that you may hear is God wants you to stay married. Thou shalt not kill using the religious text scripture to justify staying in an intimate partner, violent relationship. Spiritual leaders are often trained, and 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 why Ashley uses "thou shalt not kill" is "thou shalt not kill the marriage," right? Uh, because God brought you together, and so you need to to keep it that way. Okay, spiritual leaders are often trained to target behaviors and offer solutions, but not for the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is abuse. So you can really always tell a victim because a victim will explain. What's going on? They won't say, hey, I'm being abused. Uh, an abuser, however, will usually be the first one to say, I'm a victim of abuse. Uh, but and a, a victim themselves will say, this is happening, this is happening, he's doing this, he's doing that. I'm not sure what to do. And And sometimes ecclesiastical leaders aren't trained to identify that, hey, what she's telling me, is abuse because it doesn't sound like that because sometimes victims or survivors don't know how to describe what was happening to them. They might say, Oh my gosh, he's yelling at me all the time, you know? And you're like, yeah, okay. And so just tell him not to. And what they're not saying is he's threatening me when he's yelling at me. He's manipulating when he's yelling at me because they don't know the verbiage of what is happening to them. A lot of times victims of abuse don't know that they're even being victimized. I am one of those Uh, uh, when it first happened. Okay, victims often often face ridicule, threat of eternal damnation, or ostracization from their once-loved and accepting communities. This has happened on so many occasions I couldn't even describe. I cannot tell you how many victims have told me that they were ostracized by their loving ward, their loving congregation. And that one friend of mine that I told you was... Uh, went to her pastor or a reverend. Uh, her husband, as I said, was, oh, everybody loved him. And all the girls would say, oh, my gosh, aren't you just the luckiest girl in the world? Look at him. He's so amazing. Please keep in mind that these guys are capable of putting any type of mask on for any short period of time. So please believe the abuse of the the victim or the survivor of abuse when they try to explain what's going on. Um, And so the next slide is, so I met this guy and he can't believe what my ex is like. Um, IPV changes a person's viewpoints on themselves, others in the world. This belief system is incredibly stubborn and faulty. What did I tell you? That victims of domestic violence have skewed thinking from time to time. And that skewed thinking on other people, skewed thinking on the world, and their belief system becomes incredibly changed. Okay, failure to address is in a substantial way will result in repeated abusive relationships. So, abusive relationships when they're not addressed as abusive relationships, it will continue to happen, right? Because either you didn't recognize it, no one recognized it, what, whatever. It wasn't addressed, 
and so therefore it will continue. Uh, red flags go ignored when new relationships form. Okay, so this is getting into a brand new relationship with a guy. So we're just saying guy girl here. So uh, say with a guy, and he has several red flags. Now. I think I did a show on red flags, but I'm not sure. But I am going to be doing one on green flags soon. But red flags need to be watched. I don't care what level of a new relationship that you're in, you need to watch them. And unfortunately, that puts most victims or survivors or thrivers on guard while they are trying to nurture a new relationship. So it is very difficult. Uh, Then... Next bullet point is people will only see me as a victim in the healing process. Therefore, intentions will always be good. No one will take advantage of me because everyone will have compassion for what I've been through. This is quote unquote. A lot of times people like to stay in their victim state. They like the compassion. They like to manipulate others and say, hey, poor me, poor me, poor me. And they don't move on. This is unfortunate, but very true. So, uh, moving on um, is, remember I talked about uh, empowerment a few weeks ago. Empowerment is so important, but some women or men uh, enjoy being a victim because it gets them the notoriety, the, uh, let's go easy on her type attitude of other people so they believe and keep in mind victims minds are skewed and so that is something that a professional needs to work with okay part of my campaign is to address the violence happening in our homes this is quote unquote okay I'll say that again a part of my campaign is to address the violence happening in our homes so elected officials can and do champion the cause of IPV. Yay for them, right? However, they rarely do uh, they really know what they're talking about. They don't understand the unique facets of the dysfunctional relationships. That's the problem. We're going to fight domestic violence. We're going to make it go down. And let me give you an example of that. Uh... They might say uh, the percentage of domestic violence deaths went down because they decided to call them something other than a domestic violence death. Uh, You could call it whatever you wanted, but it wouldn't be a domestic violence death, right? Because uh, that's how they can make that go down, that percentage. Uh, They don't know the levels of... uh, Mental illness on the part of the abuser. They don't understand the mental health issues created on a victim or survivor. And so, therefore, they don't understand how to really get rid of it. You just don't just get rid of it. And it would be most important that you would not only count deaths of domestic violence, but you would also count uh, calls, calls into the the DV uh, hotlines and so forth. I would say you would want to calculate therapy uh, things that are related to IPV, but I don't think uh, that is a legal aspect. I think there's an ethical issue there. The end result is further let down and anger from court advocates, media outlets, and community members who have not yet understood the whole picture either. So it's easy to say, hey, I'm against domestic violence. But what are you going to do about it? There's nothing you're going to do about it. Let me give you an example. I was in a meeting not too long ago, a few months ago, several months ago, actually, probably about four months ago. And uh, I brought up an issue that I thought uh, was significant and important. And this officer sitting really in close proximity, which most unfortunate, he doesn't realize what my next book was called and he starts yelling at me yelling is a red flag then he starts pointing at me he's now making it personal he's minimizing what the group did that he's talking about 
and saying, well, you haven't read the reports. He doesn't even know me. How does he know I haven't read the reports? He knows absolutely nothing about me. So I'm sitting right next to an abuser, law enforcement. 43% of them are abusers, and we know that. That is uh, something that has been repeatedly proven. And so I'm sitting next to this abuser. 30 different advocates of different DV um, groups throughout the city are sitting in the same room. How many do you think stood up and said, eh, we're not going to tolerate that behavior in this room? I'm going to let you think about that for about three seconds. And the answer, zero. So if you have people who uh, work in the DV industry, because they get paid, that's why they show up to these meetings, but they work in the DV industry and yet they can't recognize domestic violence and they don't know what to do. Follow that one. That's the norm. That's the norm. So how are we going to get rid of it when those who work with GV victims, GV survivors, or whatever, are incapable of standing up themselves, are incapable of recognizing it themselves? I don't know. If it was me and someone came off like that on someone else, I would absolutely have had a come apart. Uh, that being said, because he showed narcissistic and borderline personality traits, I will not address a narcissist that is addressing me. Because um, they always have an excuse for their behavior. But that being said, someone from the outside in should have stood up. That's for sure. Okay, so issues in legislation are always coming to fruition. I see it all the time. I watch the legislation like crazy, and I watch what's coming up. I read them word for word, try to figure out what's going on, and I will address the person that is that is bringing it to to have the vote. If I don't like it and I really have not seen one that I don't like there is one uh, that had a something in it that I uh, didn't want but I couldn't find it and so therefore I couldn't address it either and that was they wanted a registry for domestic violence uh, abusers now the reason why I'm against that is because law enforcement have not been trained yet well enough and I am not ridiculing um, law enforcement as it may seem uh, but I don't want a dentist uh, giving anyone I know heart surgery it's just that plain and simple um, they're not trained well enough and until they have advocates by their side they should never even address a domestic violence incident because they can't. They're not capable of doing a very good job. And what happens is a lot of times the victim is arrested instead of the perpetrator, and we'd have 50-50. 50 percent um, victims and 50 percent perpetrators on this goodwill registry. Yay. Okay, so that's why I'm against it. Otherwise, I'd be totally for it. If D, if uh, DV advocates went out with um, law enforcement, I'd say absolutely. If abusers, I mean, if um, law enforcement had better training and advocates went out with them, I would say absolutely. But until they have, until they have extreme, a uh, greater understanding, which they never will, uh, unless they have advocates taking care of the most important portion. Uh, it, I just can't see that happening. Okay, the next slide. Oh, I have been through what you've been through. As long as we stick together, it's going to be okay. So, like I said before, is we have a lot of very meaningful people. And <clears throat> sometimes victims want to get on that healing bandwagon and just say, hey, let's uh, work on this together. And working on it together might be acceptable, but let me share something with you. Something that works for you may not work for something someone else. So that's why I give several different options that that I use or that I've I know about when I'm teaching someone else. That being said, there are things that I don't do that I think are great. 
and I think I've shared this before. Uh, one is EMDR. I don't do EMDR, but I've had it done, and it was highly successful. It may not be successful for other people. Uh, there's different journaling techniques that I use, and I share those with people. They may not work for everybody, so don't always stick together. Share what you know. See if that's helpful. Move on. But definitely help your friend through what, what she's going through. Just, you know, just say, I'm here. You need to talk. I'm I'm here to to listen. Uh, that's one of the most important things. But it's a real slippery slope uh, for relapse if if they don't get a lot of good quality uh, professional assistance. Clay, it also may be because someone's glory seeking or savior complex everyone every fellow uh, victim is not a helpful hand on the road to recovery there are trained professionals and mental health trauma recovery specialists who exist and are um, meant to help you as a unique person with with lived experiences Okay, so the next slide. If I stop telling my story, I'll become ordinary or worse, forgotten. So I talked to Ashley about this a few weeks ago. Um, it was actually two weeks ago. Because I know that women do, I know that, I don't know if men do this, but I know that women do this. And what it is is they tell their story over and over and over and over. And I said, why do they do that? And I had my hypothesis, and she shared with me um, her experience. And it's because the trauma is so great that we're trying to wrap our brains around what has happened to us because it's just not working. And we will do that until we accept what has happened to us. And then they will start to thrive. Um, but those that want to stay in the victim state will do that and will tell their story because they want to remain unhealthy. So you have to decide. Seeking out the help to lead a life that is thriving rather than sharing an unhealed story that is self-revictimizing is one method. Healthy versus unhealthy recovery. Holding on to anger is holding you back from helping yourself. So I do teach about forgiveness. It's so important. It is okay to change the story or the focal point of your story so you can grieve and start a new chapter where you will not be forgotten. So why would Ashley use the word grieve? I teach in my class that grieving is a huge part of recovery. And what are you grieving? You're grieving the loss of a relationship. You're grieving the loss of a person that didn't exist. Um, you're grieving dreams that aren't going to happen. Um, you're grieving your fairy tale that ended. And it's the hardest thing to do. It's one of the absolute hardest things to do. Okay, her last slide is titled, Nothing Will Ever Trigger Me. Not today, not ever. Keeping it together. Okay, sometimes we use a lot of positive affirmations, right? That's not always that positive, keeping the word trigger in there. But it is positive to say, hey, today's I'm going to keep it together. I'm, I'm not going to be triggered. So here are some helpful ways to stay in the present and keep awareness in the here and now and focus on reality. Okay. Hold ice packs in your hands or touch them gently to your neck or inside your wrists. Light candles or use diffusers of essential oils. Wrap yourself up in your soft blanket. Wash your hands or face with cool water. Shake a snow globe or watch an hourglass. Run beads through your hands. Play music. 
Make a playlist for your triggers of music. Um, breathe deep. Uh, do three by three to three. Slow in or three seconds in, three seconds out. Okay, write positive messages to yourself. I'm okay. Or journal, color, doodle, anything like that. Anything that helps you to stay focused on reality. Uh, tune out. Put in earplugs. Or put on a sleeping mask. Sometimes we just need to take a nap. Sometimes just getting through the day is more than we can bear, right? So it's not easy what a victims have to go through. And I'll be honest with you, I wish I had this list, you know, five years ago. Been very helpful because this is a great list. I didn't have a snow globe but I or an hourglass but I did have one of those wands they're very thin they have glitter that go from one end to the other and I loved it and when I had a bad day I'd pull out my wand and just start staring at it and then I'd flip it over and watch it the glitter go down to the other side and so forth it's it really helps you um focus on on reality and what's most important and the grounding aspects. I am really short of time, and I've only gotten through Ashley's um, PowerPoint uh, from the Domestic Violence Conference. And I hope she doesn't mind that I embellished using some of my own examples. So love you, Ashley, and I know I'll be seeing you really soon. So sorry if I embellished way too much. That being said... I will uh, continue. I'm going to continue next week, and we're going to talk about several others of the keynotes. Uh, Another keynote would be uh, Glenn uh, Lanham. He's uh, with traumatic brain injury. Yolanda Francisco Nez, she's with the Native Americans. Uh, She gave an absolute great one that touched a lot of people. Stacey Harris, she talks about happiness and finding that within yourself. Um, Susie Fletch, Mala Haifohua. Okay, and I, I I always mess up her name, so please forgive me. She talked on um, the different, the minority groups within domestic violence. And then Stan Pate talked about domestic violence and success, uh, following your dreams. So I want to talk uh, about those talks uh, next week. All right? So I want to sign off. I want to thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great week. And please keep safe. I will never tell anyone other than please stay safe and prepare for safety. If you're in a domestic violence situation, uh, there's so many people you can contact. You can contact me if you need to. Uh, my say, What I say is I don't say to leave. I say prepare for safety. So I'm not telling you to leave if you're in a domestic violence situation. I'm saying prepare for safety. Okay, safety of yourself, safety of your mental health, safety for your children if you have any. Have a good night.